for me, I, I learned about love in a very unusual place, mm. you know, in prison behind bars. And by practicing sound healing and meditation and the yoga and allow that to be a vehicle for me to go within, I was able to see that shame and guilt that often keeps people like ourselves in a very vicious cycle of addiction. But I also was able to move past that shame and guilt and connect to the true essence of who I am. Hey y'all, hey y'all, hey y'all. Welcome back to the Stacking Days podcast where we highlight underrepresented journeys of sobriety. I'm your host, Ray Donovan. Really excited about the conversation today. The brother that we have, uh, his reputation actually precedes him. He was referred to the show just because he has such a, a compelling and, and great journey and story that I think that we can all benefit from. Um, so really looking forward to getting into it with him. He's extremely dynamic, an entrepreneur. Uh, you know, he's a recovery coach. He's also a, a legitimate healer, which I think that in this day and age, we can all use some healing. So without further ado, Kelvin, welcome to the show, man. Great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really, really honored to be here and to share uh, some of my experience, strength and hope to you and to your listeners. So again, thank you so much. Oh man, the, the the pleasure is is all mine. Thank you for for joining. Um, let's just uh, start this thing off the way that we always do. And yeah. I know for someone like yourself who's in long term recovery, you have to think back here. But maybe bring us back to the beginning of your relationship with alcohol. Kind of what was your why behind why you you, you drank and what did it do for you? And then we'll kind of get into your journey into uh, into brighter days and take it from there. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I do have to think back a little bit, you know, and, you know, when I think back at the beginning aspects of things, you know, I grew up in a, in a very a strict household. I grew up in a very religious family. Uh, my father was a pastor. Uh, my brother was, was a minister and uncles were pastors. So I grew up in a very religious faith and I'm grateful for it. And I grew up with uh, four uh, older brothers and I'm the youngest of five. And... You know, growing up, you know, I dealt with a lot of uh, mental health challenges, a lot of feelings of of, of poor self-esteem, a lot of self-hatred um, issues, um, self-worth issues, um, a lot of emotional health issues. And growing up at that time, you know, we didn't, in my household, we definitely didn't talk about mental health tra- challenges. Uh, we definitely didn't talk about trauma. Um, at that time, you know, and yeah. everything was really kind of focused on on our faith, you know, um, you know, we we prayed about it, we 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 take it to Jesus, we go to church about it, and you know, that foundation really helped me to really build my my spiritual practice to this day. But at the same time, I feel now, you know, prayer works, and I know that it works. But there's other people in our lives that that can help us to deal with some of the emotional distresses and pain that we we deal with, such as professional support from a clinician, mm-hmm. a therapist, a psychiatrist, and what have you. But at that time, you know, you know, in the eighties, early eighties, you know, you know, we didn't, we didn't, you know, that wasn't the route we was going. So having older brothers, you know, see my older brothers drink and and use drugs, it kind of gravitated towards that. And you know, when I Got in my my like nine, ten, eleven years old, you know, I started drinking. And for me, it started off on the weekend things, hanging out with my cousins, you know, um, my older brothers in the projects, and we kind of like, you know, I might age myself a little bit, but I was drinking um heifer ruffer and private stock and um all those different types of of malt liquor, you know, 40 ounces of that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was an acquired taste, but at the same time, I I I enjoyed the feeling that these, uh, uh, you know, this this alcohol gave me, you know, and for me, it, it kind of gradually, you know, I kind of gradually started drinking from the weekends to, you know, you know, more during the week, and you know, it got to the point where I started drinking more, and then I started drinking more uh, heavy liquor like blackberry brandies. I never forget my brother used to, you know, purchase me some blackberry brandy, and I used to chugging down me and my homeboy and we'll go to school dances and, you know, we'll just act a fool pretty much, you know? And, you know, I got to the point where I started skipping, you know, class, you know, to get, um, you know, get drunk with my friends. Um, at the time I was 17, I ended up, uh, quitting school altogether. And that's when my alcohol consumption started, started, you know, started, I started drinking more, you know, and that's when I started getting into, 
the marijuana as well too. I used to, when I, back in school, I had to sell marijuana, but I never smoked marijuana. Um, but it was when I quit school, I started smoking uh, marijuana and I started drinking heavily. And, mm. you know, growing up in my, in my household, seeing my brothers doing it, my friends, the people that I associated with, that was a way for me to kind of like, you know, numb the pain and, and, and feelings that I had um, at a very young age. And, you know, it started off as a social thing, you know what I mean? I wanted to fit in. I wanted to be uh, connected to my peers, to my brothers. And I enjoyed the feeling that, um, you know, alcohol gave me at that time. But then some point, you know, maybe, you know, when I quit school and some other pains that I experienced in my life that um, it wasn't just about socializing no more. <laughs> you know, I was mm-hmm. I was drinking for a different reason. And for yeah. me, that reason was really to to really numb that pain and, and hurt that I, I felt um, as a child. Mm. I mean, it sounds like you, in a lot of ways, you, you know, when you were 17, it was almost like a perfect storm where a lot of your childhood, you know, kind of obstacles you were facing. I'm sure that the mental health pieces started screaming a lot louder at that yeah. point as well. And, you know, and you're basically sounds like you're just trying to to numb yourself and get some some relief from all of that, that, that tension. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I didn't make the connection then, you know, because when I was drinking, you know, I was I was drinking and I felt good, you know, when I was on influence, yeah. you know, and um, I didn't really didn't make that distinct connection until I got, got older, you know, and really started putting it together, start going into treatment. But I know alcohol made me feel better. I felt that I was more sociable because I'm more of an introvert mm-hmm. and alcohol made yep. me more extroverted, at least I thought anyway. And, you know, it got to the point where alcohol wasn't doing it for me no more. You know, mm-hmm. so then, you know, I started gravitating towards um, the harder drugs, you know. And the time I got into my 20s, I graduated to uh, the cocaine and, and heroin. And mm-hmm. um, I started, you know, consuming alcohol and, and mixing it with heroin and cocaine. And, and back in my day, you know, mixing cocaine and heroin together, we used to call that speedball. And that was a very, very dangerous concoction to put together. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just grateful that I'm still alive just to share um, that story. Um, but alcohol for me, I, I didn't even consider alcohol was a drug, you know, because right. It, yeah. It, you know, it, it was just something that we did in our, in our culture and our society. Um, and I kind of just gravitated towards that. And, you know, but once I, I kind of graduated, so to speak to the harder drugs, um, it just took me to a, a whole new different destruction, destruction path. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean, I you know, hard drugs w- was not a part of my journey, but having talked to a handful of folks, I mean, I'm I'm glad you're still around as well. I mean, I know that that's a pretty pretty deep hole to climb out of, um, even with a ton of support. So you know, hats off to you on that for Thank sure. Let's, let's let's pause it right there. I want to step back and you know, so you talked about how you came from a very religious, very strict household, mm-hmm. you and your brothers. Sounds like you guys were living a, a, you know, you had your outside life and then you had, you know, your life at home. What did that conflict and that tension look like, you know, you know, with your parents, with your father specifically and with the culture that, you know, I'm sure that he wanted you all to grow up into. But Mm -hmm. clearly you were living a different lifestyle and I'm sure Mm -hmm. that didn't make it easy for you. What did did that look like for you and your brothers? And, and, And then secondly, how did they fare in all of that as well? Yeah, yeah. Very good questions, Ray. It, it, like for me, it, it just was, you know, being the youngest, I'm um, having older brothers and being in our very strict um, dynamics at home. You know, my, my parents are from South Carolina. Um, you know, they work really hard. You know, um, they, they both came from big families, my mother and father. Um, they kind of migrated to to the north and really, you know, started off in the projects and, and really worked really hard, you know, for, Mm -hmm. to, to raise their five sons the best way they knew how. And, you know, growing up in a very, uh, in a religious, uh, foundation, um, and wanted to bring that to their kids. Um, I I really admire them and I appreciate that, but I I felt smothered, you know, because I went Mm -hmm. to church, like at least four or five times a week, you know, it was right, always Bible study, you know, prayer service, you know, you know, Sunday school, Sunday service, 
at the service. So there was a lot of 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 that religious faith just pushed on my throat, you know. And um it just certain things growing up as a, a pastor's kid, a preacher kid, um, just didn't resonate with me. I've seen a lot, you know, living uh, from that perspective as a preacher's kid, going mm-hmm. to the church and a lot of it just seems um there's a lot of hypocrisy I've seen, you know, right. and I didn't, I didn't, it didn't gel with me at all. So therefore I kind of rebelled, you know, in my early teen and teenage years. And I, I went the opposite. I wanted to go the opposite way. And, you know, my father was very, very strict. You know, we, we, <laughs> we got punished, we got disciplined, you know, um, but that still didn't turn me of the direction I was going, um, the lifestyle I was living, the people I was associated with, and even my brothers as well, too. They were my role models, and it was going down yeah. a similar path that I was as well, too, with the alcohol. And, you know, we rebelled. You know, we were the epitome of the prodigal son, so to speak. And I had to go through my own dark night of the soul, my own experiences uh, with alcohol and other drugs. Um, to really come around and really see it for what it really was and how I'm, I'm grateful for the upbringing that I, I did receive um, at a young age, but I wasn't ready to receive it at that time. Yeah. And so we clashed a lot. Me and my father, we argued a lot. Um, you know, you know, he kicked me out the house uh, many a times and, you know, he accepted me back in. Um, but he wasn't happy with the lifestyle that I was living, my older brothers was living. and. Um, you know, it was hard on, on my parents as well, too, but it was really hard on us because, you know, society and a culture, you know, when you're the you know son of a preacher or son of a pastor, you know, for some reason, it, they feel appropriate to put people like ourselves on pedestals, you know, and right. I didn't want that at all. You know, it's, it's like we're human beings, you know, and I'm, I'm ripping and running with a lot of people's kids that <laughs> with the church with and. And they're no angel as well, too. But they seem we seem to be put on a pedestal because of our upbringing. And um, that was a lot of pressure. That was a lot yeah. of pressure, um, you know, kind of dealing with that. Yeah. The uh, the concept of of church, particularly in the black community, is, I mean, it's, it's come up a couple of times, obviously, in, on on this show, considering how many you know folks of color that we talk to. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's always interesting to me. I, di- I didn't grow up in the church, but, you know, I, I've. I spent some time in the church, but never in the church community. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's always interesting to me this this like very clear division between the culture in the church and the culture that a lot of the younger churchgoers are involved in outside of the church, and just like mm-hmm. the fundamental like moral clash between those two lives, <laughs> and how debilitating I'm assuming that would be for a young person just trying to figure their their way in life let yeah. alone uh, trying to understand these very, very lofty, um, you know, these lofty concepts that, 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 that church talks about, yeah. um, you know, it's, I, I can only imagine the degree, I mean, especially as a black person, you know, just trying to like figure out their own identity, their own way, where I can see that that would be extremely supportive and maybe nurturing for some, to your mm-hmm. point, it could be smothering for others where yeah. you, you almost feel as though that you're being suppressed in a way from being your true self. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's exactly what it was. You you just you you broke it down, you know, and it was that like that like cognitive dissonance, you know, that was inside yep. of myself where, you know, this is the upbringing, the program that I received at a very young age. Um, but it wasn't really gelling with me, it wasn't resonating with me to a certain level, you know. But yet at the same time, you know, I'm growing up in, in a subculture. That's when hip hop I was really, really into hip hop and and you know the subculture back in you know you know the late '80s, early '90s, and um, you know I and wanted you're to. Find you're life. in Connecticut at this time, right? Yes, I'm in Connecticut. Which is basically, yes. basically, right next door to the Bronx. I mean, if you can That's shoot, right. yeah, you know, yeah. So I'm sure you're getting a lot of that. You know that that kind of spillover from the culture. Yes, yes, absolutely, yes. I was really big into the Zulu Nation and African Bambada and all the yeah. originators of hip-hop and my brothers were and everything too. So hip-hop was our, our subculture and kind of mm-hmm. like trying to find my own way within that. And hip-hop was a, a, a lifestyle that I used to kind of like to find my way, to express myself the way I wanted to. Mm-hmm. And and part of my subculture and, and my lifestyle at that time 
was the use of, of, of drinking, you know, and connecting with my boys and, and, you know, smoking weed and all those different things, as well as, you know, uh, dancing, you know, emceeing, you know, graffiti art and all the whole lifestyle that, it, that we was able to express ourselves. Um, but it got to the point where my alcohol consumption was, was very high, you know, and yep. I wasn't, I wasn't drinking to socialize. It mm-hmm. got to the point where I was drinking to get drunk. You know, yeah. and, and that was the big problem for me. No, I get it. I get it. I mean, it's, int- it's kind of a side note. We just celebrated this past year, 50 years of hip hop. And yes. we, it, and in that we like, we seldom talk about how in, ingrained, you know, alcohol has been in like the hip hop culture, how ingrained, you know, yeah. drug use has been in the hip hop culture. Maybe we'll, we'll, we'll get further into that over the next, the next 50 years or so. But, yeah. um, you know, I totally, I mean, I, I get it. I mean, when I was, Growing up, uh, you know, I was I was in Canada and, you know, and I was also subscribing to that culture and going, you know, grabbing my 40s and, you know, yeah. not thinking anything about it because that's what yeah. I was, you know, seeing, you know, from from the culture. I mean, yes. I totally get it. Um, so back on track, let's let's get back to where we left off. You're 21, I, I, I believe, you know, you're, you're drinking heavily, you're into all, you know, various drugs. At what point in time did the wheels just start coming off for you and you had to take a hard look at how you were going to do some things differently? And, and what did that path look like for you? Yeah, it just, you know, the automobile accidents, you know, the, uh, mm. the physical altercation at bars and in the streets and, um, you know, all those different things. I, I, I still didn't see my problem, you know. And, you know, I'll get arrested and, you know, I'll go to court. The judge would, you know, he'll put me on probation, you know, mandate me to go to a drug treatment program, um, you know, get the support, the treatment that I need um, and being monitored on probation. But I never took none of that seriously. And I ended up getting into more trouble. And it got to the point where the judge got tired of seeing my ass. And, you know, he started sending me to prison. (laughs) (laughs) So he was like, okay, you know, you got to learn the hard way, I see. Mm. And and I started going, I went to prison, you know. And um, even then, you know, I'll get out and do the same thing. You know, we was, you know, I I was ready to see my fellas and, and, you know, go get drunk and and all the just uh, fast lifestyle we were living, you know. But it, for me, it wasn't till my last prison bid that I did, where um, you know I was I was convic- I was convicted of twenty well five years suspended after twenty six months with four the years probation and uh, and, it, and it was stemmed from my alcohol and drug use, and it was then you know I never forget laid in that jail cell, you know still detoxing from the night before from alcohol from marijuana mm-hmm. from cocaine from heroin. Um, prescription opioids like Oxycontin, Vicodins, and Percocets, Klonopins. I had Everything. a lot of drugs in my system. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, thinking about the pain that I caused to my family, particularly my daughter. You know, my mm. daughter, she seen me um, intoxicated. She seen me uh, ver- ver- verbally and physically abusive. She seen me just, you know, causing all kinds of mayhem and, and, and issues, you know. And I'm sure that was very traumatizing for her just to see her father being intoxicated, causing so much mayhem um, in the streets. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was thinking about her, laying in my bunk bed, thinking about her. And, you know, that's when, you know, it really, really hit me. And, you know, I, I was at that point where I was, I was done. I was exhausted. I was tired. I was, I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. Yeah. And, and for me, I learned that's when the window of opportunity opened for me when I was a, a, ready to surrender. And to really get the support that I need, and um, you know, you know, going through the whole process with court and end up being convicted, sent to prison again. Um, but this time I was ready. I was ready to make the necessary changes in my life. And my daughter Tatiana, she was my inspiration for me to find the inner motivation to really change my life around for the better, because I wanted to be the man, the father that my daughter look up to and be proud yeah. of. So while in prison, I took advantage of all the programs that was available um, in in prison. And um, the one program that really, really helped me the most was the drug treatment program in prison. So it was it was a drug treatment program that I needed to do in order to be paroled. But I wanted to do for myself, you know, and 
that really helped me to look at things from a different perspective. I was able to learn about addiction, you know, and how um, it impacts me mentally, emotionally, um, physically, and also believe how it impacts me spiritually as well, too. And I was able to learn about the science of addiction, how it impacts the brain as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was able to learn a little bit more about myself and my relationship to alcohol and other drugs. But not only that, I was able to learn tools and practices um, to to kind of deal with the root causes of my experience with addiction, such as yoga, meditation, sound healing, you know, even creative expressive arts like poetry and journaling. And, you know, Ray, I, I had a lot of misconceptions about yoga, about meditation. It didn't feel, I didn't feel comfortable doing it in prison, but I know the things I was doing prior to going to prison wasn't working for me no more. So I had yep. to try something new and different. And, you know, these misconceptions I had, I, I, I honestly thought that yoga was for privileged, rich white women because yeah. the way it's marketed here in the United States. And I thought meditation was for hippies and Buddhists. So, you know, I didn't subscribe to none of that. So I didn't really think it was for me. But the things I was doing, you know, it just it wasn't working, you know. So yeah. by stepping out of that comfort zone and utilizing practices like sound healing and yoga and meditation, allowing that to be a vehicle for me to go within, because I learned that for me, true, authentic, sustainable healing begins when with inside of ourselves. And I was able to find that sense of calmness and inner peace, even being in a very hostile and restrictive environment, such as prison. Mm-hmm. But most importantly, I was able to understand the root causes of my experiences with addiction. And from my lived experience, for me, I learned that it was the unhealed emotional pain that I experienced in my life, the unprocessed trauma that I endured from childhood, adolescence, as well as adulthood trauma, as well as all the toxic chronic stress. For me, all of that was at the root of my addiction. So for many years, I reached for something outside of myself to find a sense of relief from that distress. And for me, I found it in alcohol and other drugs, and it worked for a while until it it didn't work anymore. And I got caught up in that very vicious cycle of addiction. So it was my experience in prison that really transformed my life. And I really found freedom behind bars. You know, I Mm -hmm. found recovery while incarcerated. And that really helped me to change the trajectory of my lifestyle um, and just really start seeing things from a different perspective. Oh man, Kelvin, they, you just put so much out there, man. I don't know where to go first, <laughs> man. Um, well, look, first, first and foremost, I thank you for sharing all that. Um, yes, you know, I, I, I've never, I haven't spent time in prison, but I can imagine that it's very challenging to find light in such a dark place. And, you know, and I'm, I'm so grateful for you that you were able to do that because obviously you've been able to pay that forward you know, to many lives that you've been able to touch, you know, since then. Um, you mentioned that you, there were, you had all these preconceived notions about, you know, these um, healing actions that you that you stepped into yoga, meditation, um, you know, so on and so forth. And it's funny because. It, I, there are a lot of things that are can be to our benefit that we oftentimes deem as not being for us, right? Yes. Like, like you know, spending time in nature—that's a white per- person thing. Yeah. Yoga—that's a white person, you know. That's a, that's mm-hmm. a rich white white person thing. Yeah. Um, you know, and I've been thinking about this a little bit lately, and you know, just looking at the landscape and not to take anything away from anybody in the recovery space, mm-hmm. but you almost get this sense sometime that recovery has been packaged in a way that it, we don't feel as though that is for us either. Absolutely, you know, yes. you know, so I, so I love the fact that we're having this conversation because yes. I think it's important for us to encounter a lot of these difficult things and mm-hmm. recognize that we can do things that 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 historically ha- hasn't been looked at as being for us, but we yes. can embrace them as ours in order to find our own healing and path forward. Absolutely, I I totally agree. You know, what you shared really touched me as well too. I, I think nature. Is one of the most underutilized antidepressants out there. Yeah. You know, spending quality time in nature is very therapeutic and healing, you know. And, you know, when I did some research, when I think about all these ancient healing modalities that's been around for a very, very long time, you know, um, you know, when we go to ancient Kemet, modern day Egypt, you mm-hmm. know, it's all over the walls, the different practices of yoga that they were, they were, were practicing, you know. I had to really do some research and really had to, unlearn a lot of the things that I've learned about these holistic healing modalities is, is that a lot of our culture, it was enriched by a lot of these healing practices that 
now you see in our modern day society in, in the Western world, whereas these practices in, in ancient Africa were, were demonized, you know, yeah. and we kind of like bought into that program that, you know, doing practices um, like comedic yoga or, or meditation or, or just um, Reiki, energy healing, all these different practices that it was against our faith. You know, that it was actually um, sinister or or evil or witchcraft. You know, we was bought into that program to believe that, you know. Um, But once we kind of unlearned a lot of things that we was programmed to learn about these holistic healing modalities and move them to the side and really experience it for themselves and really maybe do some research and understand that our, our, our ancestors practiced these healing modalities, you know, sound healing, particularly with the drum in, in, in Africa, Western Africa, where mm-hmm. my ancestors are from. It, it was a tool for rites of passage, for healing, uh, for ceremony, all kind of different celebrations. And the rhythm of the drum, you know, that, that, that the rhythm of the earth, you know, there's something very powerful. And, you know, we even go back to the scriptures. You think about, about David, how he played um, um, the harp and, you know, and all these different instruments that were used in healing um in in our in in um in ancient times. So therefore once we move past those misconceptions and really learn about these modalities and, and really embody these practices and experience it for ourselves, a lot of the the healing and from the the traumas and pain and hurt that that we've been been through and endured, particularly in this culture and in in this country, you know, we could help with the healing process with that, you know, and yep. so many different modalities, um, like poetry was a, was a practice. Journaling was a practice that I, I use. Um, if it's okay, Ray, I'd love to share a poem that I wrote. Um, Absolutely. I was in prison. Yeah. You know, it was very therapeutic for me to, to recite that, you know, and, and to write it. And, um, you know, by practicing meditation and, and really with sound, you know, I was able to really go within and really connect to those emotions that are suppressed under the influence of alcohol and other drugs. And, you know, to be honest, you know, there was a lot of drugs in prison as well too, you know, mm-hmm. but I made that commitment to myself. I made that commitment to my daughter not to consume any more drugs to really wanted to change my life around for the better. And by practicing these modalities, such as sound healing and meditation, I was allowed to feel all those raw human emotions that are suppressed for many years mm. and allowed to come to the surface and learn about poetry and journaling. I was able to process these emotions in a very therapeutic and healing way through mm. poetry. And the name of this poem that I wrote while I was in prison, that was extremely therapeutic for me then, and it's therapeutic for me now to recite it. It's called Eyes of a Silent Sun. Mm. Look into my eyes and tell me what you see. Is it a lost soul with no control, trying to be free? As I look into the mirror and stare into my eyes, I see all the anger and self-hate, hypocrisy and lies. I see resentment, frustration, embarrassment and pain. I see jail bars and fancy cars as I cruise down memory lane. I see the feelings I repressed going back to childhood. I need to let go of those feelings. I would if I could. I see the hurt that I caused to the ones I love the most. I see my brother on his wedding day as we celebrate with a toast. I see the good and bad times that I experienced in my life, but it's so hard to let go of all that bitterness and strife. There's a sense of sadness when you look into my eyes, like the ones you see when a close relative dies. But this death is not physical, it has to do with the soul. It's that morbid feeling we get when our spiritual energy is low. It's like nothing matters anymore, like that day when I was fired, feeling depressed and weak, can't sleep, but I'm so tired. I'm tired of all the pain, the hurt, and the rain from that cloud that keeps following me. Sometimes I think I'm insane. When I look out the window, see the beauty of the lake. It reminds me of good times, like when I was nine and things were fine. And with the sunrise, I can feel the presence of the creator. When I look out my window, I see me in the beauty of nature. I'm a part of God's creation, nature, and humanity. The love and spirit that's in Jesus is also in me. So I learned to love myself and others just for who we are. And I learned all about this love looking out my window with jail bars. 
Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying the episode. If you are, we'd really love it if you could leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcast or a rating on Spotify. And of course, please feel free to invite somebody into the conversation. If you feel like you have a story to share on the podcast, why not apply to be a guest? You can do so by completing the form on the podcast description or find it on stackingdays.com. That's S-T-A-C-K-N-D-A-Y-S.com. But for now, let's jump back into the conversation. For me, I, I learned about love in a very unusual place, mm. you know, in prison, behind bars. And by practicing sound healing and meditation and yoga and allow that to be a vehicle for me to go within, I was able to see that shame and guilt that often keeps people like ourselves in a very vicious cycle of addiction. But I also was able to move past that shame and guilt and connect to the true essence of who I am. And I believe the true essence that each and every one of us are. The essence, I'm talking about the unconditional agape love. Now, for me, I believe that love is more than just, you know, a human emotion. I believe that love is a vibration. It's a frequency. It's also a natural state of being. So what I really truly understand that the same love and divine essence that created the sun, the moon, the stars, all the beauty of nature, it created me, created you, it created all of us. And oftentimes, our addiction to alcohol and other drugs, the poor choices we make, the traumas, it makes us feel so disconnected to that inner love that dwells inside of us. It makes us feel fragmented and broken. And once I was able to kind of see that divine essence, that divine spark that dwells in me, that dwells in all of us, you know, that created all of this, it lives within me. And that, that gave me that the energy to look for that and really reconnect back to that love, to that love really never left. And once I was able to connect back to that love and start seeing myself, the world, and the people in it in a different way, and I really became excited about really living a new life. You know, mm. I was excited to get out of prison and live a life of sobriety, but I also was nervous as well, too, because this is how I bonded with my brothers, my mm -hmm. close friends, you know? So it was a whole different experience for me, but I was excited and nervous at the same time. No, I, I, I bet. Firstly, thank you for sharing that, that poem. I feel like when I, when I hear that, I almost can visually see this rose growing out of the concrete, mm. um, you know, which is, which is, which is a, a fantastic, you know, mm. visual representation of, you know, your growth in that, in that moment in your life. And, you know, I, um, I want to get into the sound healing more. I want to get into in, into that aspect of your work because I think that for a lot of folks of color, that you know, that's a very foreign concept. You know, mm -hmm. we don't we don't even know what that is. So we'll mm -hmm. get there. Mm -hmm. But before we get there, I do want to talk about that reentry for you. I mean, you go in, you go in one Kelvin, you come out of there a different Kelvin. Yes. You know, not just even for your brothers and for your, you know, for for your for your your folks. But mm -hmm. I'm sure even your daughter, Tatiana, she's probably trying to gr get, grasp her mind around, well, who is this guy? It, you know, it, yes. he doesn't he doesn't resemble he, he physically resembles my dad. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, clearly, you know, walking with a different energy. So, like, what did that reentry look like for you? And how did you maintain that um, that spiritual discipline that you that you found in prison to continue to walk on on this path that that was was starting to light you up from the inside. Yeah, yeah, great question. It was it was connected to that divine spark. You know, like growing up, like I said, you know, in a very religious family, um, where religion was kind of shoved down my throat. You know. But it wasn't until I went to prison the fourth time where I was able to develop a, a personal relationship with the divine and also a personal relationship with the teachings of Jesus as well. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I learned about the teachings of Jesus was was love, you know, love for um, the divine, love for ourselves and love for other people as ourselves, because we, I realized that we are one. So that divine essence of, of love and the teachings of Jesus, what I've learned while I was incarcerated that really helped me to really build my spirituality, but also the foundation when my mother and father instilled in me, that played a big part in it as well too. So that's why I'm I'm grateful for, you know, kind of like having the upbringing that I did and I had to learn like the prodigal son learned and go through my own experiences. But with all of that, you know, I was able to have a, a really focused um, awareness of what I want to do in my life mm. because being in prison, I learned these tools, these holistic practices, but I also learned more about myself. And I wanted to work in a recovery field. I wanted to to give back what I've learned while I was incarcerated. And so I was energized. I was psyched. I was I was ready. 
But like I said before, I was also nervous as well, too, because I didn't know I had a plan. But, you know, being in prison and going out in the world, you know, sometimes things can you can take a detour really quick, yeah. you know. So what really helped me was was sober support. You know, okay. when I got out, you know, I connected uh, with an organization called Access to Recovery and I connected with another a recovery coach um, that have lived experience with alcohol and other drugs and was in recovery herself. And she connected me to different uh, resources within the community as well. But I really enjoyed meeting with her every week, you know, and we didn't meet in a, meet in a clinical setting in the office. We met, you know, at a coffee house in the community right. because I felt so disconnected to, you know, the, the community. You know, I, I didn't uh, feel like a citizen, so to speak, because all these stigmatizing labels that society puts on people with lived experiences as me, I internalize those stigmas. You know, oh, I'm an addict. I'm an alcoholic. I'm a convicted felon. I'm a high school dropout. So I felt so disconnected um, to the larger community. Mm. So just meeting in the coffee house and kind of talking about my my experiences and my life and the direction I want to go that was extremely healing within itself, you know, and having a person with similar lived experience that understood my feelings and my pain and my hurts and my concerns and my direction, my passion as well too, and connect me to different resources to really help me to, um, to really move forward on those, those passions of mine and, and desires that I had, uh, was paramount. It was really very um, powerful for me. And, you know, and connecting me to a recovery community, uh, which which is um, CCAR, which stands for Connecticut Community for Addiction Recovery, and connected with them, volunteering with them. Um, they have what they call a telephone recovery support, where they have somebody call you that was in recovery themselves and kind of talk about, um, you know, just what's going on, you know, and, and kind of talk about some of the, the challenges you might be facing, you know, coming home. Um, and that was very helpful for me as well, too. And you know, it might sound cliche, but like, you know, I heard people, places and things, you know, I really had to to change all of that, including mm-hmm. my family. You know, um, you know, three of my older, three of my four older brothers, you know, we used to drink, we used to socialize. This is how we bonded and connected. I had to learn how to love them from a distance. And that right. was extremely painful to do, particularly in the beginning, because I love my family. I love I, I, I love the time we spent together. Um, drinking and, and and consuming as well too, and that was something of a loss that I had yeah. to grieve. I had to grieve that whole whole lifestyle, that whole process. Once I was released, because I, I wasn't expecting that sense of loss and grief. I'm um, mm. feeling that, but I had to learn to love them from a distance. I really focus on the lifestyle that I wanted to live, and really be around sober community. And you know, in prison, you know, we did a lot of twelve step work, a lot of NA groups, and everything. But when I got out, uh, <laughs> it was a little different, you know, to be honest with you. And 12 Steps, NAAA, that's um, good for some people, um, but it didn't really resonate with me. You know, I, I learned some some principles within the steps, you know, and I think one of the things that's really powerful for a lot of people that 12 Step does help is the community aspects of it, mm-hmm. you know, but... You know, when I walk into a lot of recovery spaces in my in my towns and the places I went to, I was particularly like, you know, it was me and maybe a couple other people, people that could count in on one hand how many other people that looked like me in these spaces. So I felt othered a lot, you know, and also these meetings could be very clicky on um, yep. the meetings that I went to. Not all of them, but a lot of the meetings I went to were very clicky. If you don't fit into that click, you know, you could be othered or outcast, so to speak, as well, too. So it didn't really gel with me. And also some of the language or terminology, once I started building more of a holistic approach to addiction recovery, it didn't resonate with me no, no more as well. Um, it got to the point, I understand that if the impact that addiction had on me, and I was very much addicted to alcohol and other drugs. Um, but I had to learn to switch my mindset. And it got to the point where I had an issue standing up and say, my name is Kelvin, and I'm an addict or alcoholic. Because one of the things I realized that any word that we use after I am, we manifest in our mm-hmm. life by doing mm-hmm. holistic practices. And not to negate the impact that addiction had on me, but those stigmatizing labels, it kept me in a box, you know, right. to a certain degree. You know, today I'll say I'm, I'm a person that's in recovery, 
or a person that's sober, but I'm a human being first. I'm a father. I'm a brother. I'm a son. I'm so much more yep. than a so-called um, disease. So that didn't resonate with me no more because I believe that addiction is a human experience, not a human identity. Mm-hmm. Because behind the so-called addict, behind the so-called alcoholic, I believe is a human being that experienced a significant amount of trauma, emotional distress, and toxic chronic stress, and looking for a sense of relief from that distress. And I believe we live in a culture and in a society that kind of conditions us to reach for something outside of ourselves when we're dealing with any type of pain, whether it's a physical pain or, or emotional pain. You know, as a kid growing up, whenever I had a toothache or headache, I was conditioned to reach for aspirin, Tylenol, Excedrin, what have you. And I use a physical painkiller, a legitimate physical painkiller, such as Oxycontin, Vicodins, Percocets, and heroin, and even alcohol to deal with emotional pain. And like I said, it worked for a while until it didn't work, you know? So I just really built community, you know? Then I had to build other sober community that had more of a holistic approach um, to it as well, too. And that really helped me to sustain my recovery for for over 14 years now. Mm. And just yesterday, I was honored, (laughs) I show you, um, the Recovery Advocate of the Year from the organization that that really helped me to sustain my recovery, um, Connecticut Community for Addiction Recovery. And, you know, just reflecting on that, and it it was just an honor just to to know that I went from that prison cell and and feeling uh, kind of beat up, hopeless, despaired. And my daughter was that inspiration for me to really ready to make some sustainable changes. And being in prison, learning these holistic healing modalities to really help me to go within, to really see the root causes of my experiences with addiction and giving me this passion to help other people that going through similar experiences with addiction and being released and really learning how to have a lifestyle, live a really healthy lifestyle without the use of alcohol and other drugs and really have a healthy relationship with the loved ones in my life, the people that I cared about that knew me the most. Um, it was a, a very profound experience for me. And having that experience, I have a desire to, to support other people on their own personal healing journey of sobriety. No, I love that, man. Uh, congratulations on on your rec- the recognition that that they that they bestowed on you. I think that's awesome, and fully, you know such a far cry from where you started, right? I mean, yeah. you talk about 14 years of of recovery. Most of the folks that I talk to on this show, I mean, they're in one, two, three, four, maybe mm-hmm. five years. Um, so to speak to someone who's on, who's been on the road for some time, I'm sure that you still deal with stress. I'm oh, sure yeah. that you still deal with a lot of the societal pressures that we are all, you know, dealing with, but you've certainly found a more productive way to be able to manage those sorts of things so that you can live a healthier lifestyle, yes, a holistic lifestyle, healthy lifestyle, yeah. and you're passing that on to other people. So, I mean, I got two questions for you. Yeah. One, uh, and we talked a little bit about this before the show. How do you advocate and guide other black men um, as they're trying to to understand their own path? I yeah. think that's one topic that I de- definitely want to cover. And then I want to talk about sound healing because I had my own experience recently mm-hmm. with sound healing. Uh, and it opened up some things inside of me that I had never felt before. Yeah. So I can only imagine that the practice of it um, could be very deep for for someone who who's open to it. So I don't know if those two pieces overlap with one another, but I would love for you to t- to share your perspective on both. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, I, I believe they do. You know, when I when I really think about it, because for me, it, it really helped me to kind of go within and, and and open up those emotions and feelings that I didn't that I suppressed for many years that that were very uncomfortable to look at. But I noticed that I had to feel before I heal. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So I had to feel those raw human emotions that I didn't want to feel that was very uncomfortable for me. And, you know, work with black men, I, I'm, you know, work with some other uh, colleagues of mine, um, black men that, uh, you know, we, we get together and, you know, we have lunch, you know, once a month and, you know, we call ourselves sober black men. And so just with that whole concept, we wanted to, you know, kind of create like an online support group for for black men that's that's in or seeking sobriety or recovery or what what even that that means you know um you know we go into certain um neighborhoods you know when it's predominantly black um and brown folks you know we see a lot of uh package stores you know liquor stores you know alcohol stores you know and that's intentionally you know mm-hmm. i remember when when the crack epidemic you know came back in the, in in the 80s you know um where it it 
really, really impact the black and brown community, but that was intentional as well too. So there's there's a lot of these 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 substances, including alcohol, that's within um in black neighborhoods that's that's really out to kind of like keep us um, down. Keep us down, you know, and cause us harm to to our, our minds and our and our bodies and I believe our souls as well too. So just really having conversations around that, I think, you know, it's so important. What is our relationship with alcohol? You know, for me, you know, kind of growing up in the subculture that I did and how liquor store, liquor companies, I should say, they use particular artists and rappers and, and people that, that have influence within the black communities uh, and have fluence in the hip hop communities or even, even black genres of music to promote their the alcohol consumptions and mm-hmm. we're always being programmed, you know, whether it's through our music, whether it's through Hollywood and the movies and the TV shows that we watch. So the, even social media, all these different things, it program our subconscious where all the real power is really at, you know? So we've seen all these celebrities and people using, using drugs, um, consuming alcohol. It seemed like, and the way they glamorize it within our culture, it seemed like that's the cool hip thing to do. You know, but they don't talk about the other side, you know, how it, it destroys families, destroy homes, people go to prisons, um, people get, um, you know, get killed and, and, and murdered, domestic violence and driving under influence, all these different other things associated with alcohol, you know. So therefore, just having a conversation around that so so we can have like a real honest, real talk, real life situation, how alcohol impacts us. Yeah. But also talk about why we drink alcohol. There's a reason why we, we, we drink and as black men. Um, one of the emotions that I'm able to express more, you know, just openly was, was anger. Mm-hmm. My anger quickly turned to rage when I was under the influence of alcohol and other drugs. And that rage, that anger got me into a lot of trouble. But yeah. once I was able to go through counseling and therapy, and once I was able to peel back and go underneath that anger, I realized that it was, it was a lot of fear, a lot of sadness, a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, which in our culture, it doesn't feel comfortable for black men to express that, you know, yep. and we have histories of traumas, you know, that, that, that goes, that extends back from our ancestors. You know, there's a saying, my friend, Nikki Myers, she's the founder of yoga and 12 step recovery. She's the one that often says that our issues live in our tissues. Hmm. And I find that to be so, so true. The trauma that we experience in our lives, those emotions that we suppress or repress, it's in our bodies, it's in our muscles, it's in our tissues. Our cells have memory and our body keeps score of all of our experiences we go through on that journey that we call life. So as black men, sometimes we don't realize why we feel so much anger, so much hostility. Um, we're hypervigilant, all these different type of uncomfortable, intense emotions. Now how we reach for a blunt, how we reach for a bottle to help to alleviate that. And that makes sense. It makes sense to me why, totally. you know, we want to eliminate that, that distress. And sometimes we don't even know where that distress comes from. But it, yeah. a lot of it is in our bodies, you know. So just really having spaces where we could come, having podcasts like yours where we could learn more about, you know, alcohol consumption and how it impacts us, and just really giving people tools to help to to to, um, you know, you know, have a different relationship with alcohol, whether they want to reduce the harm that that alcohol may be. May be causing within their life or into their bodies, or they want to have abstinence from it, you yep. know, and really go a different route. Having different resources and tools and practices, and to really to address that, but also I believe it's so important that we address the root cause, not just mitigating the symptoms of of the conditions that we're dealing with, but addressing the root causes. And that's where practices like sound healing, yoga, meditation, clinical therapy, um, you know, being out in nature. Um, connected with other human beings that have our best interests at heart really comes into play, you know? Yep. And um, so sound healing is one of those holistic healing modalities that can really help us to do that, you know? So, you know, during my experiences with sound healing, you know, I use the crystal singing bowls. Um, I use the Himalayan singing bowl, so like a bowl like this, which is mm-hmm. made of different meadows. Um, I use the gong, um, the ocean drum, all the different healing tools and instruments that I utilize to help us to activate and stimulate uh, the parasympathetic nervous system, hmm. also known as the relaxation response, to help us to calm our minds, to relax our bodies, to feel our emotions, and to nourish our souls. And the meditative sounds produced from all the different healing tools that are utilized during a sound healing session, it promotes healing from chronic stress, 
muscle tension, our physical pain that we feel in our bodies, feelings of anxiety, depression, post-traumatic stress, sleep issues, and different other stress-related chronic health conditions that we experience in our lives. You know, all those different types of emotional distresses that, that I just named was the main reason why I reached for alcohol and other drugs in the first place. And even though those substances gave me a temporary sense of relief, but for me and many people like ourselves, it caused more negative consequences at the end. So yeah. really just giving people tools to really to really work with, to do the inner work they need to do in order to heal. Yeah. I mean, you, you had a line that you had mentioned earlier. I think it was, you got to feel before you heal. Yes, and, sir. you know, we are so apprehensive to any of those feelings because, I mean, let's be honest, they just hurt so much, right? Like we do anything mm-hmm. we can, even if it resorts to killing ourselves slowly to avoid some of these things. And, you know, so I love the fact that you've, you know, are trying to create these paradigm shifts within our culture, you know, one individual at a time. So they recognize that number one, you can feel these things. Um, Number two, you can also heal from these things if you, you know, if you, if you want to. Um, So I think that those are, you know, those are, those are honorable, honorable, you know, things that you're doing in the community. And, and, you know, I, uh, I, I I hope that I can actually make my way out to Connecticut at some point. I'd love to do a sound healing session with you. I think that that's an extremely powerful, powerful tool to just touch into an aspect of yourself that, you know, otherwise you you didn't even either knew, know that it existed or Mm -hmm. it's just generally pretty dormant most days. So I think it's, uh, I think it's pretty strong stuff. Yeah, I would love to have you. You know, I'm honored to um, to be co-founder with Soul Care Love with my beautiful life partner, Maria Del Carmen. And we really create these safe spaces for people to really connect to the inner healer that dwells inside of them. And, you know, sound healing really creates that space for people to be still and mm-hmm. go within and connect to that inner GPS to help them to navigate through life in a way that works best for them. Yeah. Get to that issue in our tissue as you, as you, (laughs) I love that. that. Well, look, I got a couple of questions that I'll, that I'll ask you as we kind of close out here, Mm -hmm. uh, Kelvin, and then, uh, and then I'll let you go. One, I'm just curious what your perspective is on this. I asked these questions of everyone, um, Mm -hmm. and there's no right or wrong answer. So just putting that out there. Uh, the first question is, you know, for someone who's sitting there, they're listening to this podcast, um, you know, they they recognize that they got an issue. The day looks so dark that it looks like it will never be light, you know, and, but they want to they want to move towards that light. You know, they yes. want to get better. They want to tackle their, you know, their their struggle, but they don't know how to do it. They don't even know what the first step is going to be. Like, what would you what would you propose that that individual do? Yeah, you know, it, it, it's. There's so many, there, there are resources out there, but sometimes, you know, searching different resources can be very confusing, overwhelming mm. as well, too. When we, you know, we Google something and, you know, we look for, you know, whether it's a treatment center or a detox center or some type of support, depending on our insurance or our financial, um, you know, status and everything as well, too. The, you know, there's also a lot, a lot of barriers as well, too. So, you know, the first thing, you know, we could go to YouTube, which is free and, mm. you know, go to different videos, um, you know, go to your, your podcast, you know, other podcasts that talks about, um, you know, alcohol addiction or any addiction to any any substances and kind of get information about that and maybe perhaps some inspiration to really change your life around. And also there's some things we could do. And one of the things I suggest is like, okay. What does alcohol do for you? You know, I, I invite people to to kind of like sit down and, and do some self reflection to like yep. understand why the reason you're drinking alcohol in the first place. So, what is the pros um, of drinking alcohol, and what are the cons for drinking alcohol? And really do some introspection and really reflect on the pros and cons of their relationship to alcohol or any other drug. And, and really weigh it out, you know, and along with, you know, reading some books and, and, and listening to podcasts and um, checking out some videos on recovery and sobriety on YouTube and, and really have, you know, come up with a, an idea of what path you want to go, you know, and once that, that path, whether it's treatment, whether you want to live a different lifestyle, there's, there's so many different resources, um, 
you know, if you're into 12 steps, you know, 12 step is, is a community that people can go to, but also there's smart recovery. Now there's refuge recovery, which is more a Buddhist based um, practice of, of sobriety. Um, there's so many different um, uh, peer support organizations and, and meetings that people can go to and be around community. And I, I encourage anybody to connect with some sober friends or, or sober community that can help you to um, answer any questions that you may have and, and associate yourself with, with people um, that, that have the same vision and goals as you do. And if your goal is to be sober, um, connect with people um, that's sober as well, too, you know, yep. and read all you can, learn all you can about, about um, you know, alcohol or any other drug addiction, but also learn more about yourself and the reason why we, we reach for a substance and behavior to 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 alleviate, um, you know, reach for alcohol to alleviate um, some of the distresses and, and feelings that we may have within inside of ourselves. Yeah. I mean, certainly, you know, curiosity is one of those um, you know, one of those paths to self-discovery, right? Yes. And I think that to to open yourself up, to start having some of those conversations with yourself before having them with anybody else, you know, having that degree of honesty and curiosity for yes. yourself will mm-hmm. lead you to a path that maybe you weren't on yesterday. So thank you for, for sharing yeah, that. Absolutely. Uh, last, last question I have for you is, mm-hmm. and this is, again, the question that I ask of all, all my guests, because I think it's important for not only those who are in the midst of the struggle, but those who are witnessing those who are in the midst of struggle, Mm -hmm. you know, in your darkest days, how would have someone, how would someone have known that you were struggling without you explicitly telling them? Hmm. Yeah. There's, there's certain signs, you know, um, isolation is a big one Mm -hmm. Uh, for me. Um, you know, I used to come home. I used to isolate myself in my room, um, didn't want to socialize w- with my family, so that was a that was a big one. Um, and I dealt with the depression as well too. So there was points where I used to sleep a lot, you know. That's um you know a tell sign for for struggles. Um, but just you know, um, being intoxicated all the time, you know, seeing or smelling you know alcohol or or just slur, um, 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 lang- you know, slur speech. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, you know, not taking care of your, your personal hygiene um, like you used to. Um, mannerisms, attitudes, um, you know, feeling, you know, a lot of anger. I, I had a lot of anger and hostility. Um, that was I was short tempered a lot of a lot of times as well, too. Mm-hmm. And just little little shifts in our attitudes and our demeanor and our hygiene um, and our behaviors. Um are telltale signs, but it's hard for sometimes family members to, uh, or loved ones to notice uh, when they have a particular loved one that's addicted to um, a substance or a behavior that's no longer serving them, it's causing harm. And the thing I learned about addiction that impacts not only the addicted person, but the loved ones as well too, you know? And I think it's also important for the loved ones to, um, especially the loved ones that have in direct contact with an addicted person is to, find support for themselves as well too and get yeah. the healing and support and make sure that they take care of their well-being as well too. Yep. That's a great call out. Thank you for that. Yes, absolutely. Calvin, where can uh where can folks find you? Absolutely. They could check me out my website um at soulcarelovellc.com. Um you know, there's, you know, um you know, list of different uh individuals and private sound healing sessions that we offer. We also offer virtual um, gong baths as well, too, which you may be able to experience um, a sound healing session virtually as well, too, which is very awesome. And my partner, Maria, and I, we're coming up with some online courses as well, too, and how to utilize and incorporate sound healing into your daily practice, how to pick up a, a bowl, whether it's a Himalayan single bowl or a crystal bowl or maybe a drum or a shaker or a rattle or a chime to help you to take care of your well-being as well too mm. and um we also have um our own personal blend of cacao which is okay. the purest form of dark chocolate it's considered a superfood um one of the things that you know when i was in early recovery um you know especially in the 12-step communities you know we used to drink a lot of coffee and the way i used to drink coffee it was it was very unhealthy i had a lot of sugar to it um and um a lot of other 
crap to my coffee. And that coffee used to give me the jitters after a while, you know, right. almost like the same feelings where I was using cocaine. So I connected with a chocolatier, you know, shout out to Aruna Chocolates. And I, I wanted to come up with a blend that for people that have similar experiences with me, like me, but also a healthier alternative for people. And, you know, the cacao um, is rich in magnesium, rich in antioxidants, um, um, and, and nutrients that our body needs to thrive. So we also, um, you know, we sell that on our website as well too, which is a great alternative to, to coffee. And, you know, you're, you're more than welcome to reach out to us directly. Um, all the contact information is on our website as well. Awesome. I, I'll also throw in there, you got a YouTube page. I was, uh, I was sitting there, uh, just enjoying some of the, uh, the soundtracks that you had yes. put up, uh, yes. recently. So, uh, throw that. We'll throw that into the show notes as well. Thank you, brother. Yes. Yeah, you got it, man. Well, look, Kelvin, it's been such a pleasure, man. I'm glad that we we're able to make this happen and have you come on. I've really enjoyed um, chatting with you. I know we'll stay connected. And and my, I I got family out in Connecticut, so when I come out there next time, I'm gonna drop you a line and see if we can please get a, a session up. Yes, please do. I would really, really love that. I would love awesome. that a lot. Yes, yes. Awesome, man. Well, look, uh, I appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Everyone who's listening to the episode, thanks for tuning in and uh, stay tuned for uh, for next week's show. All right, peace. I appreciate you guys listening to the Stacking Days podcast. I hope this episode added value to your recovery and wellness journey. Before we go our separate ways, let's connect on social. You can find us on TikTok and Instagram at Stacking Days or via the website, www.stackingdays.com. By supporting the show, you can play a direct role in amplifying people of color in their pursuit of recovery. The easiest way to do that is to subscribe or hit the follow button. This way, you'll never miss an episode, all while playing an active part in creating the ecosystem where diverse voices and healing matter. This show is for the purpose of education and connection and is not a replacement for therapy or recovery care. For more information on the resources and support available, take a look at SAMHSA and some other resources shared in the description. Until we meet again, be well, one day at a time.